everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I'm your host, Gabe Warren, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and awarding our favorite films of each year starting in 1928 and going onward. We'll be discussing our brave thoughts on each film we nominate and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few rules that we always follow, we will be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes too. Today, though, we are diving back into our Gene Arthur miniseries. Specifically, today, we're going to be talking about the film Mr. D's Ghost to Count. And joining me today to discuss this film, you may know him as the host of the podcast It Pot to Be You and Queer Now. I welcome to the show Manish Mather. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Um, it's, ple- it's my pleasure, and I'm excited to have you on this podcast so first off how are you doing today how's your day been so far um it isn't uh pretty good um it's about uh three o'clock when um we're recording and i feel like uh it feels like my day has hardly began so this uh, one of those saturdays but you know i'm doing all right how are you good i need to um like have a better sleep schedule but otherwise good yeah i know that's sort of the problem yeah everyone has these days um so um um starting going back into this gene arthur miniseries i would like to ask you first off what is your familiar uh, um what is like the first movie uh from gene arthur that you saw like what is your introduction to her yeah um that's an interesting question i feel like um the first movie i ever saw her in i believe was um you can't take it with you uh and i watched that a couple of years ago uh because i was kind of going through you know sort of all the um best picture winners from, you know, like the 30s and 40s, kind of catching up on those ones I hadn't seen. And, um, you know, I thought I was kind of knew who she was, of this, I was familiar with her, um, but I hadn't seen any of her movies. And I saw that one sort of immediately was so taken, um, taken with her. You know, she's very, um, she's very charming. She's very uh, sweet on screen. She has such a good like comic timing. So I was very just like, I got to see whatever I can of hers. And, um, you know, during the early days of the pandemic, I, you know, there was happened to be a lot of Gene Arthur movies on the Criterion channel. I don't remember, I believe it was like a, they were doing like a Gene Arthur collection. So I had seen a number of her movies that I hadn't, um, hadn't been able to see before. Um, but I just, yeah, I think, you know, she's such an, uh, I think she's such a worthy, um, you know, figure for a miniseries because I think a lot of her movies have shaped old Hollywood. Um, and a lot of, I think, what people think of, you know, for this time period, she has a hand in, in sort of creating that image. Um, you know, her and Frank Capra and um, Henry Fonda and James Stewart, like, you know, like they've all sort of been like, to me, they're like, okay, that's what old Hollywood can be like and that's like you know this, these black and white movies with like fast talking women and sort of like um uh very like humble guys you know I just like is what I think of so um I think she's such an important figure I think she's been in some really incredible movies and I'm really glad to be here talking uh with you about her nice um yeah that's excellent and uh, discovering Jean Arthur, um, for me personally, has also been kind of a thrilling experience. Just seeing such a, she's such a radiant screen presence, and I don't think she's ever given a bad performance from what I've seen. I really don't think she ever gave a bad performance, and I could just go off of everything that you said. Like, she really is such a major force in this overall style and vision of old Hollywood. 
at least a recognizable face and voice and presence. And so um, when I showed you the list of films that um, you could choose from, what was was it that um, attracted you to this film in particular? Oh, I just love this movie. Mr. Deeds goes to town. Um, I just, you know, it was, um, I just, you know, I saw this movie, you know, back in that, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, when I, when I was kind of introduced to Gene Arthur and I just found it to be like so charming, had such a really good message. Um, you know, I love Gary Cooper's performance. Um, I had, you know, I had seen the, I guess the the remake with Adam Sandler as a kid. So that was one of those movies that, um, you know, was on TV a lot. So I just, it's, I can't say I liked the, you know, the remake was more just like it was on so much that I just watched it so many times. Um, so I just kind of like, uh, so I have a lot of affection for this movie, um, for the original, because uh, I have that connection to the remake and, um, so seeing sort of the original version of it is kind of is exciting and it's just one of those like you know it's it's a movie that kind of just makes you happy um, and it's has a really um, like empathetic really uh, low-key vibe to it as well like it's not this like huge like war story it's not this like sweeping epic it's just like a cute little romantic comedy about a simple guy and sort of his misadventures and the um you know the the good that he does for people just out of the pureness of his heart and that's something that I really feel uh you know should be that's a message that I think people should hear every day um especially you know nowadays when everything's so tense and divided. Um, and I think, you know, Gene Arthur's performance here is really strong. Um, I, I agree with you that she, I can't think of a movie I've seen of hers where I thought she was bad. Um, but for some reason, I find this movie to be my favorite of hers. Um, and uh, I, I think that's because her character is a little, you know, she has a bit of an edge to her. She's kind of, she's a little shady, but um, you know, at the core, she's a, a good person that, you know, wants to do the right thing. And um, I like that, you know, I, I and I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of movies about reporters. <laughs> like, I, I like journalists, um, especially comedies about journalists. I don't know what, I don't know why, but it's, you know, in this, in this time period, you know, get me like a, a dame who's a, after the story, you know, and I, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And um, I suppose we should, um, I suppose I'll start off by reading like the synopsis. Um, Yeah. So let me just look it up. So um, it's it's basically about an unassuming greeting card poet from a small town in Vermont, heads to New York City, heading to New York City upon inheriting a massive fortune and immediately being hounded by those who wish to take advantage from advantage of them. So, in a lot of ways, it is your typical Frank Capra movie from um, this era. Like, after it happened one night, you can see a definite shift in the types of movies he made. Yeah. And this is probably a great example of the template that he often used. Or you have um, like this nice little sweet, innocent um, country boy, uh, if you want to call him that, or country bumpkin. Mm-hmm who finds his, who basically, whether it be happenstance or pure coincidence, just bumbles his way into uh, into high-class society. And the movies usually have something to say about political greed or class. 
And I suppose uh, one could accuse his films of being a bit preachy, but I can't dislike them because, you know, because they are so earnest and heartfelt. Yeah, um, they tend sorry. to be of oh, my bad. I was just going to say they tend to just be so well written that it can get yeah. away with that. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Um, I think that these movies, they sidestep being, becoming too preachy. I think just by virtue of how, um, as you're saying, like well written and well acted and, and sort of well made they are. And um, it's, it also feels to me that there is a certain, um, there's sort of an, an undercurrent of, you know, tension under these movies, you know, political tension, um, class tension. I mean, you know, you look at an example of um, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Like everyone kind of thinks of that movie as being this like sentimental, schmaltzy Christmas movie, but then you watch it and it's actually like about the pressures of living under, <laughs> under capitalism, right? And it's all about this like, um, this guy who's like pushed to the breaking point by, you know, all these external factors. And, and I think that that drama is in all of his movies. I mean, especially the ones from this era, like, you know, it happened one night, uh, Mr. Deeds, of course, you can't take it with you, Arsenic and Old Lace. Um, these movies look like, you know, kind of standard comedies, but there's a lot of um, pressure under the surface. And I think in Mr. Deeds, this idea of, you know, losing, um, you know, losing innocence and taking advantage of someone who wants to do good. And, you know, you see that especially in um, Jean Arthur's character, Bay Bennett, you know, she's someone that initially is sort of, um, you know, she's kind of, uh, you know, she's, she's lying, she's trying to get a story, she's humiliating Mr. Deeds in the papers, but, you know, I, I think as she gets to know him um, and seeing that he's actually is what he says he is, then she starts to really, um, you know, kind of see things from a new perspective and, you know, how much, you know, good he wants to do and how he's influencing the people around him. And I think that, um, you know, the, you know, I don't know if this is like, you know, you could be call it nationalistic, you know, this sort of like, this idea of like the, you know, the Midwestern American man who's like the stand-in for all that is good and the city is all that's corrupt or whatever. I mean, I guess you could say that. I don't really buy that as an argument, but um, I mean, I guess it's it's certainly an interpretation. But I, I think that this these movies are just so, um, they're so entertaining and they're so um, well executed that I feel... Um, that the the messages aren't overbearing. Um, I think they're actually quite subtle, or at least they're woven into the into the film quite you know gracefully. I would agree with all of those. Um, uh, I would agree with all those uh, points, and I suppose you could maybe buy the nationalist um, argument if you really want to read into it but it doesn't surprise me that much considering i'll just say that um the way that um capra um sets up his films during this era is not that surprising considering just the era in general it kind of it makes sense for this time yeah and i don't think it goes that far yeah, yeah, for sure. And of course, we're talking about this movie mainly for Gene Arthur. And one of the things I love about her collaborations with Capra is that she understands, no, um, he understands her, her entire appeal and just makes her the assertive driving force in all of their movies together whether it be with Gary Cooper or with James Stewart. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, there's something like, you know, when you watch, um, sometimes when you like watch a lot of like modern Hollywood comedies and, you know, it's a comedy about a man, you know, as a central figure and there's a love interest character. Um, it's sometimes it, it's like the woman is just there to like laugh at the jokes you know, or the woman is just there to like be the love interest or be the nag or something. And one thing that I love about Jean Arthur and her collaborations with, um, you know, not just with Frank Capra, but like people like George Stevens and, and all that. I mean, I, th I think that they like let her be funny and they let her like be a little goofy and she can, you know, she's her own character, even when she's not the protagonist, um, when she's sort of a, the supporting love interest type character. Um, and it makes these, like, we think of these movies as her movies, you know, like, I, I mean, um, just as much as we think of it as a Gary Cooper's movie or, um, you know, James Stewart's movie or, or whomever. Um, you know, this is especially true with, um, you know, you can't, you can't take it with you uh where um you know like there's this like whole um you know she has all these family members around her who are so like goofy and quirky and crazy but you would think she would be like the stick in the mud character who wants to be normal but really she's just as you know offbeat as the rest of them and i think in this movie like we get we get a chance to like see her as a personality and you know she's you know being yeah, you know, she's trading barbs and she has a lot, she has a lot going on. She has a whole life outside of this movie. She has a whole career. And um it's, you know, you just feel like there's such a strong character there, even if she's just the like reporter slash girlfriend character, you know. Definitely. Um yeah, so. I would say that the main selling point is probably Gene Arthur and, but what do you think of Gary Cooper? I think that uh, he's well utilized in this movie, but what did you think of his performance? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Gary Cooper fan. You know, I, I like him as an actor. I feel that he has a very, um, uh, he has such a, um, he, he can have such a like stoic quality sometimes like he's very you know he's usually pretty silent and that serves him well in this movie if he's like this you know um, he's this sort of like unwavering guy right like, like this, this is one of those movies where the main character doesn't really have like an arc where they like change from you know they have some sort of like major change but rather like the main character is like the constant and the world around them changes, right? Like he influences everyone around him. And, uh, you know, he is, um, you know, as he's going into this new world of high society of like, you know, the fish out of water thing. And I think Gary Cooper does that really well. I mean, of course he's very handsome and charismatic and he has this like star quality to him. Uh, and, you know, with this being one of his early roles and, um, it's like not surprising that he goes on to have this like long career of really like iconic movies like High Noon and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I think this is a really good, I mean, I like this movie a lot. I think, you know, it's um, one of my favorites of, you know, the, the, of the Capra, you know, filmography. And I think Gary Cooper does really well with it. And it's uh, it's a pretty fun performance. How about yourself? I am kind of mixed on Gary Cooper as a whole. Like, I do like him uh, when he's in comedies because that allows him to play a bit more awkward and endearing. Yeah. But when he's just asked to play, like, these perfect, stoic, noble men, he kind of loses yeah. my interest. Like, for example, in Sergeant York, I... I mistook him for, like, I had a hard time telling him apart from extras in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, for sure. I do like him in this one. Just because he, 
plays into his goofier side. And yeah, he's, he's surprisingly lovable in this movie. And he plays off of Gene Arts really well. And yeah, he's just endearing and likable in this movie. And I appreciated that. Yeah. So, um, because this is a Frank Capra movie, it, of course, has to end with a courtroom scene. Mm -hmm. And what did you think about that courtroom scene as a whole? There are specific things I want to talk about, but what did you think about it on the whole? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, yeah, I really, I found it to be really uh, rousing and inspirational. And, um, you know, I, I like her, her monologue that kind of is able to, um, you know, really like um, kind of reignite Mr. Deeds and um, as he is, you know, trying to do what he needs to do. And, you know, one thing that I find really fascinating about Jean Arthur is that she's so good at, you know, this like dramatic scene, even though like, I mean, I, we, I think, I mean, you know, I haven't seen like as many of her movies that aren't comedies. I think the most ones I've seen of her are like this kind of like screwball comedy, but she's like really good in drama. And, you know, of course, you know, I think anyone who's good in comedy is gonna be good at drama because I think comedy is extremely hard, you know, like, I think that there is really, um, you know, I, I feel like we see a lot of like comedic actors who do like dramatic work and it usually turns out pretty well because I think, especially like this kind of comedy, which relies on like timing and dialogue delivery and body language. So it's like, shouldn't be surprising that she's really good, but yeah, I really like the scene. And, um, you know, I think that there's like, there's a lot of passion and anger and, um, you know, idealism in the scene and I mean, the movie as a whole. And, and I think that it, you know, Frank Capra is just so good at, you know, creating these moments that really stir up a lot of emotions. And he's really good at, um, you know, making something, making something that could be seen as like too saccharine into something that's like really appealing and interesting and, um, you know, uh, charged and, and exciting you know it, it's not some like you know overly sentimental kind of you know like weepy type picture I mean I like those too don't get me wrong but like he's able to like really make this material into like something that's really kind of um engaging and timeless you know I think this courtroom scene is timeless it's effective now you know just like Mr. Smith goes to Washington and um, it's one of a life, of course, like these movies are timeless and it's because of Frank Capra, it's because of Gene Arthur, it's because of, you know, Gary Cooper, James Stewart, you know, whoever, Lionel Barrymore and you can't take it with you. Like, it's just, there's something so modern about it, even if it's something that took place, you know, 80 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. There is a timeless quality to Frank Capra's general approach to crafts and the actors that he worked with. And that period of filmmaking, like between 1934 and 1946, I would consider it really special just in Uh terms of what he was able to do. And um, just in terms of the courtroom scene, I just find so many things notable about it. Uh, about it, the way yeah. that um, the judges try to paint Mr. Deeds as some kind of crazy person, which is strange considering how the media uh, treated him beforehand. Yeah. And Gene Arthur really gets to showcase a lot of dramatic scenes in this. I'm a, I'm a lot of dramatic power in this scene. 
And there's part of me that felt like it might have been a bit too long, but that's my only real uh, complaints. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, no, I was saying, I definitely think this movie is too long. Um, you know, it's almost two hours long. I remember, like, every time I kind of watch it, I feel like, it, oh, I, I think of it as, like, you know, a, you know, an hour and, you know, 35 minutes or an hour and 40 minutes or something. It could have lost but, at least 10 minutes. Yeah, I think it's, like, one of those movies where um, it's too long because, like, the setup takes forever, you know? And... Um, and so it's like, well, I, I want to see the, um, like, I, I want to see, like, the ending, you know, but, or, like, the, you know, like, once it gets to, like, the meat of the story, you know, it's like, um, have you, like, you ever watched a movie where you're, like, I know the premise of the movie, so I don't need to be, like, guided through how it gets to the premise. Like, I just want to get to the part that I, like, bought the ticket for. You know what I mean? And, um uh, I was thinking of there's one other movie like this I can't think of it now where I was like I was like you know this I know what this movie's about so I don't need a very like deliberate setup just take me to the premise um, and I feel like Mr. Deeds is like that as well and it what happens then is that it takes away where you're kind of like going through this third act and you're thinking wow this is it's already it's almost two hours but really it's like the third act isn't what I want to the third act is what I'm interested in is what, what I bought the, my ticket for, so to speak. But it's, um, yeah, I, yeah, but I agree with you. I think it's like way too long, but that's like something that Frank Capra has done a lot, I think. Like it happened one night, I think that's about, um, let me, I, I feel like that is- a, I think that does, I think that's movie. a good example of a movie that um, is the perfect length. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like you can't take it with you as well is like over two hours long and it's like okay you know you could have you could have <laughs> cut it down yeah especially you know for these like kind of fast screwball comedies you know I mean I'm never one to like I don't like movie length discussion like I you know but I think with a screwball comedy like you wanted to go by fast and you wanted to like feel really quick and zippy and I think like Mr. Deeds, definitely. There's one complaint I have. I totally agree with you. I think it does kind of get a little sluggish at times, and you're like, okay, let's let's pick it up, you know? Yeah. So going back to the courtroom scene, um, I just find obviously uh, notable that it's. I think it's the first. I think this film was the first to use. No, I I think this film has the first use of the word pixelated. It's brought up um, actually a handful of times in that final um, scene in the movie. Yeah. What did you think of that? Um, I'm, uh, sorry, say it again? Uh, what did you think of the use of the word pixelated? Yeah, I mean, it's I uh, surprised me. I guess I just didn't even um uh yeah I had no I mean I didn't know that that's like something that they said back then you know um but, yeah yeah it was pretty cool yeah it is so yeah it is kind of surprising that they used that sort of word back then yeah I I like I don't know about you but I associate it with like computers and like yeah so I'm not sure exactly um, how, the, how it would have been used back then, but I imagine it was for something before. Yeah, yeah. And what I also like about the court scene, uh, courtroom scene is how Mr. Deeds points out, we all do something that makes us seem crazy in the wrong context. Like, one of the judges is, like, filling out O's absentmindedly. The other one is doodling. And that's a funny and relatable scene to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like one common theme with Frank Capra is this idea of like sort of a rigid society that has to deal with someone who is, um, you know, out of, you know, out of the ordinary. 
and um, how ultimately kind of being out of the ordinary is um, um, like, it's, you know, it's okay. You know, it's, it's like everyone should kind of learn to be quirky and, you know, kind of be themselves. And I think that's sort of the, like, the, to me, that's like one of the central themes of this movie is that like this guy might not fit into all these like society, rules of society. He might do things that, you know, we think are, are silly and stuff, but like Mr. Deeds is able to like, you know, poke holes in all these cases, again, all these like evidence of um, kind of like mental instability that's kind of thrown at him. He's able to like quickly be able to, um, you know, like refute all those points because he's not dumb. Like he might be simple-minded or whatever. He might be um, someone that's not, um, you know, educated in the city or what have you but he's not dumb and he's not a bad person he's not crazy he's just someone that does things a little differently and experiences life differently and wants to you know wants the world to be more idealistic i think that's the perfect description for um mr deeds's motivations yeah and I wanted to talk more, uh, more about um, Louise Bay Bennett um, or Mary Dawson as a character, since that's Jean Arthur's character a bit more. Yeah. And going back to um, how Capra utilized Arthur, uh, Jean Arthur in his movies that they made together, I really liked the way... Uh, the way her character slides between being cunning and whip smarts and also being kind of dizzy and clumsy when she presents herself to Mr. Deeds mm-hmm. and is trying to trick him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I feel like her character is sort of like the stand-in for, um, you know, the, the central conflict of like sort of like big city, like um, cynicism versus like small town idealism and how um, how it's very uh, important for, you know, idealism and hope and optimism and, you know, altruism can um you know for that all those qualities to kind of like reach the city you know because she's someone who just wants to get the story and she you know is lying to Mr. D she has this fake persona and she's also someone that you know has a very like modern life like she lives she lives in that studio and um you know she's like a modern career woman you know she's very much that but um you know, like that's that cliche from the 1930s. Uh, but she's not someone that is like, you know, she's not a lost cause. Like she can become idealistic again. She can, um, you know, she can like, uh, you know, find these values again. And I don't, I don't think this movie like makes her change. I think it's just like brings out something that she had maybe like pushed down to get ahead. Um, and I'd be curious to see like what their life is like after the movie ends. Like, does she move back with him? Does he move to the city? Like what's, you know, I hope that she doesn't have to move back because, you know, I don't, I don't, I think that it's, um, you know, I, I think that it's important that she stays very true to herself, even when she's sort of like seeing all the idealism that Mr. Deeds brings to her life. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to describe her character. Oh, thanks. How she, <laughs> she starts off as cynical and willing to take advantage of the more simple-minded, but she is able to experience real growth as a character. And I don't know. There's just a 
a clear through line with these characters that I wish we saw more of in today's movies. Yeah, I agree. So a major theme in this is obviously the media and how it approaches sensationalism or sensational topics. So what did you think about the way that the media was portrayed in this movie in relation to how they are up in arms about Mr. Deeds and his quest to help the poor? Yeah, it's an interesting question um, because, you know, right now we're going through a phase of um, like distrust in the media. Um, like it's a, it's a talking point, right. Of, you know, saying, oh, you can't trust the media or, um, you know, you know, like, every, we, like we, went, we went through this whole thing, you know, about don't look up and how, you know, the media doesn't want you to like believe this mess or whatever the nonsense was. But I think when you're thinking about sort of the, the sort of like chaos and obnoxious hot takes that we we're dealing with the media versus like the way it's portrayed in the movie, you know, I think with um, Mr. Deeds, it becomes, it's not about sowing distrust, but more so like, again, it's this thing, this idea that something got lost along the way and something um, something happened where all of these you know conventions and uh, uh, you know old all, all these sort of like um, habits formed and Mr. D is someone that can bring everyone back to kind of where they want to be and um, that you know he's someone, that shouldn't be ridiculed in the media because he's doing so much good. And um, so it's like the media can, the media, it's, it's almost like the media lost its way a little and he brings it back. And that there's something, there's something noble about the way the media can, um, you know, craft a story around someone. And there's something and that using that ability for good or, or for evil is sort of like the big, question in the film for me there's definitely um you can see the notable differences and now the media is portrayed um like comparing it between 1936 and now yeah where in 1936 you still had the sense that they felt obliged to be somewhat transparent or um, transparent with the public versus now where they feel they're entitled to not be transparent at all. Like even back and like comparing it with like the coverage of the Vietnam War or the transparency allowed for yeah uprising that led to its end. First, and today that would be much more difficult because the media would not allow for pictures of wars to be shown, to be broadcast on television. Right, right. And then going further back, I don't know if we had television back then. I don't think we did. Um, so a lot of it was dependent on the press and and depended on how much people believed in what they were reading off a piece of paper. And I think this movie is a decent snapshot in the media mentality. And it's also a good template for Capra's view of like the class structure and the rich versus the poor. And right. we know that how that looks like nowadays. And there are different there are definitely parallels between then and now, 
especially considering this was made during the Great Depression. Or they probably had limited resources. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, empathy that Capra has, even for people that he, you know, even for people that might be the villain in a lesser movie or, you know, uh, something like that. Like, he's just a lot of compassion for everyone that he puts on the screen. Yeah. Um, and I feel like with his interpretation as his portrayal of a rich like he really gets into the idea that take away everything all the riches and all that power and they just become another one of us Mm -hmm. yeah it's really powerful yeah definitely And I guess do you have any like other thoughts about this movie? I think that, you know, for all of its sort of really, um, you know, uh, important themes and for all of its sort of, um, you know, concepts of, you know, classism and, and all that, it's really just, you know, a funny, romantic, you know, cute, charming film. I think, you know, there's a lot to chew on, a lot to think about, but Frank Capra is nothing else if not an entertainer. Like, you know, for all of his movies, I think, you know, there's always a lot of stuff going on under the surface, but that doesn't mean that he is not looking to entertain first and foremost. And I think, you know, Mr. Deeds, I as I mentioned, one of my favorites from him, you know, to me, like, it happened one night and this movie are his best and it's wonderful life these three are his best movies i don't think that's a very controversial take but um i think these three movies are just so powerful because like they're so entertaining they're so rich in themes and they have really great performances um i think gene arthur is fabulous in this movie i mean i think it's like you know it's a masterclass of how to be a supporting player, but then also like steal the perform, steal the movie from the, from the lead. And the fact that like, we're talking about her and talking about this movie, it's a testament to her talents and her ability to make an impression in a role that could easily be very um, minor, very like um, two dimensional, but she is able to make it three dimensional and make it compelling and engaging and, you know, any listeners that is not familiar with her or is um, kind of looking to find that, like, perfect Jean Arthur, like, classic quintessential performance, I really encourage them to look at Mr. Deeds because I think this is what, um, I think this is, this is what she does best, you know, and this is her at the peak of her talents. And I mean, she's an amazing performer with her whole career, but you know, when I think of Gene Arthur, I think of this movie and I think of this performance. Same here. Everything you said. I um I just find it ironic that how there were people back then who thought that Gene Arthur's voice would kill any chance she had at um a viable sound career. Oh, I know. <laughs> when that became one of her signature right yeah Yeah. like that distinctive voice that she had and there's also something to be said about robert riskin's gifts as a writer and Mm -hmm. his work with frank capra again has this timeless quality and I also note that they basically did the same movie five years later. Um, ah, just going to look it up because I forgot the name of it. Um, Meet John Doe, which I feel is a lesser rehash of that um, same plot. Yeah, I've never seen that movie, but... Um... I remember seeing it on like 
Criterion Channel or, or Letterboxd and like coming across it and being like, this sounds just like Mr. Deeds. <laughs> yeah. And it's basically lesser in every way. Aside from Barbara Sandwick, who's just um, one of the greats. She's fantastic and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I guess now it's time to go on to its um, like Academy Award nominations. So at the uh, ninth Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director for Frank Capra, Best Actor for Gary Cooper, Best Screenplay um, for Robert Erskine, and Best Sound Recording. And it walked away with Best Director for Frank Capra. Do you agree with its um, its uh, awards trajectory, or do you think it deserved more than that? I mean, I definitely think it deserved more. Like, I think Gene Arthur should have been in the conversation. Um, I think, and I feel like she only got one. Yeah, for the Mortimer. Uh, yeah, which is a that's a great movie. It's a great performance as well, um, and that's more of a, a lead performance than this one is. Um, but yeah, I think she should have been in there. Um, I would also, um, uh, I mean, you know, this movie has such a strong supporting cast, so it's, um, you know, it's hard for me to, uh, you know, pick out any of the other actors, but I definitely think that, you know, for like Raymond Walburn, you know, as the, the butler, he's fabulous. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think that, you know, Gene Arthur should have, should have been in there. And also, um, you know, like best cinematography, you know, this isn't a movie that gets talked a lot about in cinematography because it's a lot of just people in, in rooms talking, but it's very effective camera work and, you know, you know, Capra's gift for crafting these images is so strong. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to disagree with um, with the nominations it got, and I think it could have gotten like two or three more. Yeah, um, I would give it additional nominations for Gene Arthur. I think Gene Arthur is actually my personal best actress winner for 1936 for this movie. So there's that. It deserved best editing, in my opinion. Mm, yeah. Robert Riskin deserved to win for his screenplay. So, yeah, definitely deserved to be um, the big player it was, even more so. Yeah, definitely. So, I guess with all that said, um, if we have nothing else to say about this movie, um, thank you, Manish, for agreeing to appear on this podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was such a pleasure to um, chat with you. Like I know we're, we're friends on Twitter and it's really great to hear your voice and, <laughs> and be able to like talk to you, not face to face, but you know, in person and, or you yeah. know, through Zoom and stuff. And um, yeah. it's also a, it's such a treat to think about this movie, think about Jean Arthur. You know, she's the kind of actress that just brings a smile to your face just because she is such an, um, she's such a radiant presence, you know? So it's like just being able to like talk about her, like really brightened my day. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So thanks so much for having me. With pleasure. So um, Manish, how can we find you um, on social media and your podcasts? Yeah. yeah. So the best place to find me is on Twitter um, at Vertigay314. That's uh, V-E-R-T-I-G-A-Y 314. Um, also, I'm pretty active on Letterboxd, which you can find me under my name, Manish Mother. And um, also, um, yeah, my podcast is uh, It Pod to Be You, which is about romance film. Uh, and that is at It Pod to Be You on Twitter. And it's a part of the Talk Film Society Network. So you can catch that kind of wherever you find podcasts. Um, I also co host Queer Now with uh, uh, Dave Giannini. Uh, which you can find at Queer Not Pod. So both podcasts are kind of on a little bit of an extended hiatus because uh, I'm going back to school. So um, the episodes are coming out sporadically. I just did an episode on Paul Thomas Anderson's Liquor's Pizza for Pod to Be You. 
Um, so, and also an episode on West Side Story, the original and the, the, new, the new film. So um, those are the most current ones, but there's a full, uh, full catalog of the um, older, older episodes, including Frank Capra's um, It Happened One Night with our mutual friend Zita Short. So uh, that's a pretty great episode. You get to hear me, if you want to hear me talk about Frank Capra with, with another amazing person that I know on Twitter, uh, look out for that. Um, so yeah, thanks again for having me. Again, it was um, such a joy to have you on here. So um, you can find me on Twitter at Gabe Joker. You can find me at on Instagram at Gabe Warren, my name uh, on Letterboxd at Mr. Hulo. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at Alternate Oscars. And I also have a Patreon page. Should be easy to find. Just type on and type the Patreon, uh, Patreon link and alternate Oscars. And I also write for Keith Loves Movies, if you're interested. Currently, I'm writing a review for Munich DH4. Be sure to check out my reviews, as well as those of my colleagues. And be sure to rate and review this podcast for disability's sake. And subscribe for your choice server. And until the next episode, sit back and relax, choose and enjoy, and thank you for listening to the alternate Masters.